welcome, welcome everybody to welcome. the Fire This Time podcast. Peace. My name is Sonny Toure. And this is Akita J. And like my brother said, this is the Fire This Time podcast, and we are here with episode 13. To give you the business like we always do and keep everything blazing. So yeah, welcome to people, Ozki. Yeah, we'd like to welcome all the people to Fire This Time. Our podcast, you know what I'm saying, where we like to keep the truth and keep, I say say, the people's podcast, where we like to keep the truth and keep it fresh to the people. We're on episode 13, so we're trying to stay on the rhythm and give you this fire. You know, I like to tell you, you know, before anything, you know, like and share on, you know, you can look us up on podcast, I mean, on Instagram, um, Twitter. Um, Facebook, we on, you know, we try to stay focused, just you know. Yeah. Also, uh, dip dip into your family and your friends' inboxes. You know what I'm saying? Hit hit, hit they there. WhatsApp, hit they text inbox, hit they iMessage. You know what I'm saying? Drop it in their Facebook group chat, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Where, wherever you think it's gonna resonate with your with your family, your friends, people closest to you. Uh, yeah, we trying to spread it out, and uh, the people listening, y'all y'all the first uh, y'all y'all the first wave of that. So we relying on y'all. So. Most definitely, most definitely. So I keep introduce to the people. What is this first? Ep- I mean, what is this thirteenth episode? You know, uh, what, what you we know, dealing with, bro? This week, you know, we gonna tackle, you know, the national black convention. You know, we seen this, and uh, we felt the need to speak on this to the fullest, mm-hmm. and. Um, and this was organized by the Movement for Black Lives? Yes, right. yes. Movement for Black Lives, um, you know, I don't know how many people have seen it. If you get the opportunity, please go check it out. So please you too. don't let our critique deter you from looking at it for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Please so, do that. Yeah, so we're going to be hitting that... Uh, the 19th, there, there was a, a black national convention in 1972, Gary, Indiana, that brought together uh, in, in some type of fa- in some similar fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of black political leaders, and uh, you know we're going to compare and contrast, you know, uh, exactly uh, between the two mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in 1972 and 2020. Uh, the 2021 that was just organized, it definitely claims the stand in the tradition. Uh, the 1972 Black National Convention. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. I don't know about all that, but you have to check it out for yourself. Uh, yeah, exactly. And we're going, but we're going to talk about. We're going to give our analysis. You know what I'm saying? For those that can, and for those that can't, you know what I'm saying? We're going to definitely, you know, put our stamp on it. But before we get there, Aki, let's start with uh, this week's fire. This week's fire. So uh, this week uh, we're going to be honoring the life and legacy. In memory of our brother Darren Seals For those that don't know Our brother Darren Seals Was a uh, Ferguson uh, You know Protester Brother Son of the community uh, You know Organizer on the front lines When everything went down With Mike Brown And uh, you know Tragically In 2016 September 6th Just yesterday From when we are recording this uh, it's been four years. Yeah, it was four years yesterday. He was tragically killed, murdered, found, um, I believe, shot in a car uh, that was set on fire. Yeah, mysteriously murdered. I like to say right. suspiciously. So, uh, and, and we know what that, what that's all about. Somebody that was doing the type of work our brother was doing, and how they targeting these Ferguson activists. Uh, you know, we know certain forces was at play with that. But, uh, you know, but we're going to focus on the, our brother's life and uh, and also the stamp that he wanted to put on, uh, you know, this generation of uh, politics that that we part of, you know, during the time that he was alive. So, uh, Brother Aki, you know, uh, 
uh, I guess, how are you coming into this conversation about Darren, brother Darren Seals? You know what I'm saying? You know, what do you want to share with the people about as far as how he affected you or just some, uh, you know? I mean, um, when I first seen Darren Stills, um, it came because when I was trying to see what was going on in Ferguson, I wanted to look and see what was going on on the grass, you know, in the grass on the land. And he kept popping up. And um, this is before I really started seeing the Black Lives Matter thing jumping off. But they were using that there, but there was something that looked completely different. I think mm. at that time. Yeah, it was mainly online. Yeah. And so um I see I kept seeing him. But then later on I started seeing, you know, the other forces, outside forces. I I I would later find out it was outside forces that were being the ones that was highlighting. I didn't see him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um until a little later when he started voicing his opinion about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. I was already having some thoughts about Black Lives Matter just from seeing the way they was demonstrating. Mm-hmm. And, and um, this was a brother from the community, you know what I'm saying, yeah. that was there before any of the national media attention, mainstream media, before the, uh, you know, the big national... Celebrity yeah, came, yeah, all The black that celebrity stuff. class came, yeah. exactly. And so um, I seen him from that, and then, you know, when he, uh, you know, Jack Slap, you know, D Ray, right? Uh, you know that that right there. That, that you know that definitely caught my attention. Oh, and, yeah. then, and then his untimely death that I definitely find it suspicious. Right. So let's just dig in. There's a um, an article on uh, thecorrespondent.com. Uh, it's, the, it's titled uh, "Meet Darren Seals, Then Tell Me Black Death Is Not a Business." So um, this kind of gets into the role, uh, or I guess uh, how I came into knowing Darren Seals as well, uh, as far as his critique of the movement. So the article reads, did you know who Darren Seals was before he died? If you live in St. Louis and were involved in the Ferguson protests, you did. On Facebook and on Twitter, Seals had been criticizing the co-option of Ferguson activism since late 2014 detailing an internal division between the Ferguson movement and the national civil rights movement known as Black Lives Matter. At the heart of this division, wrote Seals, was the exploitation of black pain for profit, conducted not only by white media and NGOs, but by out-of-town black elites who seized on Ferguson as a stepping stone to glory. Tell the truth. Yeah, follow it up, Aki. In May 20, in in a May 24, 2015 post written in his typical blunt style, Seals exorcised, exorcised, exorcised. I ain't never heard of it. I ain't never heard of it. What he saw as a hijacking of Ferguson, and 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 the complicity that lies in silence. Black death is a business. He wrote. Millions and millions flowing through the hands of these organizations in the name of Mike Brown, yet we don't see any of it coming into our community or being used to help our youth. I've been calling out this shit for months. People see this as an opportunity to not only build a name, but to bank at the expense of lives of uh, at the lives of our people like me. All right, let's get this next paragraph, then we're going to talk. 
Uh, this is why you should know Darren Seals, if you didn't. He was among few riders to clearly call out the division between the activists of the St. Louis region and the broader Black Lives Matter movement. In St. Louis, the division is talked about on the ground, but rarely publicly. In the white-dominated mainstream media, where Ferguson is primarily spoken of as a symbol rather than a place where actual people live and suffer and fight, the fractionness between local and national black movements has uh, has gone la- largely uncovered. Having abandoned Ferguson as a place while embracing it as a brand, the national media largely focuses on the camera-friendly Black Lives Matter movement, which is how SEALs ended up falsely being labeled a member of Black Lives Matter after he was killed. So, um, the, you know, the, and the article goes further. We might touch on more. But mm-hmm. let's, let's pause here, Aki. So, um, you know, just just from that, you know what I'm saying, like, like Darren Seals really represents the type of critique more and more of us. Yeah, already have of the Black Lives Matter movement and more of us is discovering as time goes on as far as, um, you know, what they're beholden to. But go ahead, Aki. I mean, I think, you know, it is very honorable for a man uh, and especially a, a true activist that's that comes grassroots with the community because most activists come up that way. They may have not been doing no activism before. But a situation happened in the community and they got involved and that was the spark inside of them. And I, and I don't know if he had that spark before. I think he had a little bit of that before already. He was leaning towards that. Mm-hmm. But this right here really sparked him. Yeah, and, I mean, he was involved in this community, uh, you know, uh, definitely yeah. helping out with the youth. Yeah. Uh, I definitely read that within the article. Uh, also, he was a worker. You know what I'm yeah. saying? He he worked at the General Motors uh, mm-hmm. assembly line. You know what I'm saying? And he so while Darren Seals and the founders of Black Lives Matter, they're all leveraging uh, Ferguson and then going off to their book deals and to their college speaking tours, tours charging colleges yeah, ten thousand, exactly. twenty thousand to speak at their college. Uh, you know, he's working on the assembly line. You know what I'm saying? And, he and, called and, out and, early the exploitation of black pain. Right. That that that. That we seen, you know, earlier, you know what I'm saying? And how people, you have to be careful of people, you know what I'm saying? Did, you know, people jump on bandwagons. You know, they look at things as fads sometimes. And, you know, he called that out. You know, and a lot of people wasn't calling it out. And that's somebody that was on the ground. Mm. And, you know, like I said, it was other groups that was involved. I didn't really see the Black Lives Matter thing, but it, I, I didn't maybe go into it as deep as I needed to at the time. But I know I, when I looked for the people that was on the ground, I was seeing them. Um, it was some Nation Islam people that was involved in that, too. So it was grassroots organ, organizing. And um, I definitely seen with my own eyes how it got hot. I mean, look, we know how prepared the FBI and all these other folks was in the 60s and 70s to the rise of a militant black organization true or a black messiah figure whatever the case may be mm-hmm. you don't think they'll be prepared to destabilize or just that elite class and their interests they're prepared to destabilize their movements through who they even focus on and give funding to and give their media focus to so that that's what happened in this in this situation and and, and ferguson and darren seals you're right was one of the first people that i think nationwide a lot of us in the black working class came to, you know, uh, resonated with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, trusted his word on it from early on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, 
it's even more tragic to consider what happened. You know, in those. In, in you know, it's concerts. sad that you know I had to, uh, you know, um, because you know they set people up all the time, and we had plenty of our leaders and 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 and, and activists assassinated out here in these streets. So we just got to be watchful and mindful of that. You know, um, he didn't get the celebrity, so he didn't get the protection. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When you stand with the people in the community you're from and you stand on principle, you're not going to get the protections that come with the system. Matter of fact, the system is going to then come at you. Right. So let's talk about... Uh, on. So this is, again, from the article. This is from when he slapped D-Ray. Let's get into that. On one infamous occasion in early 2015, Seal slapped D-Ray McKesson, a Minneapolis-based school administrator... Uh, who arrived in Ferguson over a week after the protest began, but became the th- became the face of Ferguson coverage, landing a New York Times magazine cover applauding his efforts in May 2015. Seals accused McKesson, who had by then long left St. Louis behind, of hijacking the Ferguson movement and neglecting the cash-strapped local activists still being targeted, jailed, and fined by the police. After the slap heard around St. Louis, both activists continued to fight for black rights, but in very different ways. McKesson went on to meet with uh, elites in Aspen and D.C. and unsuccessfully run for a mayor of Baltimore. Seals went back to his job on the General Motors assembly line and tried to raise money for underprivileged black children in St. Louis. And this let's uh, read this last sentence to get into it. Many disapproved of Seals physical aggression or a choice of McKesson as a target. But few in the Ferguson movement did not understand the pain behind it, the pain of living in a region overexposed and ignored at the same time, the pain of black te- death turned into a business, as Se- as Seal saw it. So what, what do you think, Aki, about this idea of, uh, you know, that slap and Darren Seals, you know, that being fed into a narrative of, you know, uh, I guess violence and hyper masculinity. I mean, what is your response to the uh, I guess people that would critique seals for slapping D-Ray? I mean, that's between two men. You know, um, he felt a certain way. His honor, his pride as a man, as an activist, as a person who loved where he's from, loved the community, live in that community, and see the the death of someone in his community being exploited. It's no different than when I was in the streets and I would see somebody talk about shit that I was claiming or representing and I had friends who would die for that. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I may smack you. Mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah, if you could say, well, you could use wisdom and did that a better way, but that's what took place. But he was also acting... On behalf of his community Exactly You know what I'm saying like, He was doing uh, that For the people that's in jail D-Ray or Charlotte Playing pay, yeah, play penalties Paying pil- uh, pay penalties What he say He say the people That's still there They paying the penalties uh, The fines They doing the jail time And all that stuff And y'all getting book deals Y'all up in Aspen and shit Mm-hmm. But you know that 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 feeds into the same type of tropes. You know how, how some of these outsiders read it, and some of these bougie black or elite blacks or just uh, whatever how they read it. 
Mm-hmm. It feeds into the the tropes surrounding why Darren Till's death is so so marginalized, so ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, around around hyper masculinity, around mm-hmm. aggression maybe towards a gay black man and Darren and uh, D Ray. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying like the uh, you know th- that's some of the narrative that came out around uh, Darren I mean, Till slapping him. That's just people trying to make something more out of something that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it had to do with the fact of it. It, it, it wouldn't have mattered. I don't think if the dude was gay. He could have mm-hmm. been straight. Mm-hmm. He still was going to get smacked. Right. Because, hey, you know, that, like, the same way people are trying to make a business off of that black death in Ferguson, mm-hmm. people also make a business off ignorance and stupidity and 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 uh the black political and and, and you know in 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 all black you know what I'm saying institutions that we got jumping off right now, so that's just some people who trying to make some shit out of nothing. Mm-hmm. They're gonna get an article out of it. Mm-hmm. Masculinia, you know what I'm saying. For sure, <laughs> and, and, and you know that reminds me of what we're gonna get into uh, a little bit later. Uh, thinking about the segment from the Black National Convention that Movement for Black Lives Matter did, oh. where they had the conversation about black masculinity, oh, or wow. or really they talked around black masculinity and didn't even maybe comprehend that such a thing existed yeah. that that wasn't sourced solely from uh, you know Western or uh, Western uh, or white patriarchy. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and this and, and this conversation affects how we read the actions of Darren Seal slapping D Ray. Exactly, as far as you know, uh, you know. So let's actually wait on that, and uh, you know, get into that a little bit later. Once we get around to that uh, segment of our analysis of the Black Lives Matter uh, oh, uh, yes. National Coal, uh, uh, Conference, oh yes, we can touch on that a little bit more. We don't want to uh, jump the gun, but uh, as we round out this conversation about Darren Seals, you know, what I'm saying any any uh, you know last thoughts you want to leave the audience with? I mean, I would say you know, what I'm saying give it definitely I say to Darren Seals. You know, condolences still and always to his family and the loved ones that he left behind and the community that he left behind. Um, you know, we have to remember those activists that don't get heard of and they get forgotten about and, you know, how that affects, you know, it's a lot of activists that were killed and murdered during the civil rights movement and, and you know, the black power movement that we don't even know about. So we got to remember people like this mm-hmm. and um, remember you know, saying never to let your struggle, whether it's local or national, be exploited. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? For capital gain. Yep. There's a difference between building people power, grassroots power, and between, uh, between like, uh, a push for representation or uh, some type of elite type of coalition building. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And um, there's, there's vastly different styles of organizing taking place in our movement right now. Most definitely. But they're trying but 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 one side is trying to wear the pilot the face or the the aesthetics of a politics that's not their own. And and, and, and hey, I believe in the KRS one method. Sometimes gotta smack the shit out of people. <laughs> With that I say again, I say to Darren Seals and his memory, his legacy, brother, we miss you. You know. And uh, it's up to us to carry on, you know what I'm saying? The best parts of what you shared while you was here. You know? You know what I'm saying? And uh, we love you for what you did. Thanks. With that, we're going to be back with the next segment. And uh, we're going to say free to land. Free to land.
pretending they care about it so much all of a sudden. That was my whole mentality, like, where the fuck y'all come from? Where all this fake love come from? You know what I mean? If you weren't here before the media, I, I ain't take you serious. I don't give for who you was. Tyler Kweli, any of the other motherfuckers, I really ain't take none of them serious because at the end of the day, y'all came because of the media. End of the, end of the story. The CNN ain't show up. None of them motherfuckers would have cared about Mike Brown. So, I, I really wasn't tripping off the shit they was doing. But I just noticed, like, man, these cats is really building a whole fucking campaign off our shit and, and soliciting all these funds off our shit. And then, black folks, you know, we ignorant to a lot of this type of shit because we ain't into that. So, when they, when they started the hashtag Black Lives Matter, it was so catchy that everybody shared it, everybody started saying it, and it became so fucking big, so large, people actually thought, like, oh, this is just a catchy hashtag, but what well, people didn't know it, this was actually an organization. That's his. So, yeah, y'all, the voice you just heard was our brother Darren Seals, uh, and the words that he had to share about his activism, Black Lives Matter movement, whatnot. So, uh, again, I'll share it to our brother, but uh, let's go ahead and get started with this next segment, Aki. So, what are we talking about again? We're going to be talking about the National Black Convention 2020. Um, we're going to get into it. Me and, me and Aki looked at the whole damn thing. We're talking about pre-show, actual show, uh, epilogue, inter- show. intermissions. Yeah, it's what, five Mu- hours? Music breaks. All of that G shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we looked at the whole thing, so it was a task. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about it, but, you know, we're going to also try to, you know, give a little comparison to the first um, National Black Convention in 1972. Right. And that, that's the one that they constantly reference themselves towards, yeah. saying that we're a continuation. We're carrying on the tradition of the 1972 Gary Convention. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get into that. So, uh, but first, uh, let's just uh, maybe give people maybe uh, just um, some quick hits as far as what we thought. Uh, about the uh, 2020 Black National Convention organized by the Boomer for Black Lives and uh, particularly organized, I believe, by the Electoral Justice Campaign. Is or Black November? Yeah, uh, within the Movement for Black, for Black Lives umbrella. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, what you got, Aki? Uh, well, you know, um, I checked it out and um, I think it was sort of a mistake because I, I, I made a mistake because I looked at the first I, I got a little bit of footage from the first um, National Black Convention. And then, you know, um, I read some of the transcripts from it, and so I was able to digest a little bit what that was about. And then I looked at this newer one, and uh, it was uh, a little... It's a little shaky and flaky, I just say that. It was a lot of commercialism going on up in there. Um... Um, it definitely wasn't geared like the first National Black Convention. It was just it it was, it was a lot of commercialism going on for five hours. It was a lot of surface level analysis. You know what I'm saying? No, a depth. lot of a, a lot of identity politics. You know, and a lot of sur- like I said, surface level material analysis you know, that we can get into. No arguments on the floor. There was not even a they 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 took the position that we all believed in one way. Yeah. It, the, how they styled their debates is, you know, a whole conversation. 
But, you know, one thing that kind of that, that made one quick comparison before we even get deep into the 1972 convention is that, that they said that they handpicked the delegates from each state, you know, and um, that they, you know, talked about this at the beginning. I think they kind of leaned into styling this program. It was a program. Uh, as a black national convention, you know, mm-hmm. where things people come together as in, within a delicate democratic system, right? Yeah, and with the ability to debate and vote on political platforms and agendas and what the declaration is going to say and form committees. You know, what I'm saying like mm-hmm. that's a whole democratic type system that you know seeks to bring that seeks to bring in the masses within the democratic process. Exactly. That's not what this was at you know, all. The delicate system instead seemed to me to be an elite type of uh, network of uh, activists of professors of people in academia people in, in the nonprofit industry uh, and you know and, and people on the ground doing great work as well yeah uh, but it, it did seem to be you know uh, not not a not a delicate democratic uh, you know manifestation of black working class politics mm. as you know the name might portray itself well it, it was, was i said it was the way they was trying to portray it but i will have to say this we have to take into account that this was done during covid true so it probably is going to lack some of the natural aesthetics that you would have when you could have people meet in person um but you still could maybe try to facilitate it, you could have still did something more similar to that manner digitally. You know, if this is a black national convention that seeks to bring in the masses, I mean, are, are there some groups or organizations that you feel should have been represented that weren't? Uh, I mean, I say this. The first black national convention wasn't geared towards the same aims. And goals is this one. Mm. This one right here was it was centering certain people, certain segments, um, exact uh, exaggerating divisions. At least from what I saw, mm. you know, um, I didn't see a lot of things about black men being represented, um, which is bizarre, you um, know, but expected. Um, it we 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 were on there. We were there. About uh, two hours in. Um, yeah. Um, it took about two hours, you know. Besides the man on there doing the uh, sign language. Yeah. yeah. The man on there with sign language holding it down. But, um, you know, I didn't see much on there. Um, it, 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 you know, it wasn't inclusive and broad like the first black national convention. So it definitely lacked some critical uh parts and, and, and components to making it a true national black convention um, especially to try to highlight it they could have just said it was some new shit and did it that way instead of throwing it in the name of that one right there you know? Yeah, I, and I think that's part of uh, the black middle class black elite class move to you know appropriate the aesthetics of black radical or black revolutionary politics for more liberal integrationist assimilationist type aims and we mm-hmm. we see how they move and do that. Um, but, you know, some other general critiques before we get deeper into the 1972 convention. 
I felt like this 2020 uh, convention, you know, I maybe this is a personal problem, Aki. Maybe I need to get over this. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, uh, I don't like the how abolition has came to replace revolutionary. Mm. On this Black National Convention, you didn't hear people talk about revolutionary politics mm-hmm. or revolutionary programs. They talked about abolitionist projects, abolitionist programs, aboli- you know what I'm saying, abolitionist theory. Mm-hmm. And the movement before, in the, in, you know, that we talked about revolutionary politics. And this is another problem with the Black Lives Matter movement. They always reference themselves only to the civil rights movement. Because the revolutionary nationalist politics came out of the black power movement most prominently, right? Yeah. So, but if you have no reference point, if you purposefully, you know, uh, ignore or duck, you know, being contrasted with the black power movement because you don't talk about it or you just pass it off as too masculineless or too mm. narrowly focused on separation or whatever they try to say about black nationalist politics or the black power movement. Yeah. Uh, but they, they try to ignore it. And that's why, you know, I think too many people are too easily, easily accepting, you know, this transition from revolutionary politics to now abolitionist. Well, because that because look, the term is more vague. You well, can go, go up and go up and ask anybody in our communities; they're gonna understand what revolutionary means before abolitionist. Well, I'm gonna tell you what it is, Aki. See, back then, the civil rights movement. There was a contrast between the civil rights movement and the Black Power movement. You know, they were asking for two totally different things in a totally different manner, mm-hmm. right? They coexisted, but they were two different spectrums of the same thing. I mean, two different spectrums um, trying to go towards the light of freedom, I should say. But now we come into a time, right, where they don't want to give that credit to the history, give credit to black power in history. Because that means that, hold on, black people had a revolution, mm. right? So now the people who believe, excuse me, believe to be continuing the civil rights movement have developed a new language. Mm. So for our black power revolutionary, it's now their abolition. Mm. They're trying to connect it. They're using abolition to try to connect it to the historical role that abolition played and black people becoming free. But we have to remember that the black power movement was sourced on the grassroots level in a different way than this Black Lives Matter, you know, more elite project. But like I said, the abolition mm-hmm. talk, the vocabulary mm-hmm. is supposed to be used as their word. Mm-hmm. To some extent You know It's supposed to be used As a content To rebel people up They didn't have that In the beginning Maybe You know what I'm saying I, I mean I, I don't really buy That ab- like abolition That talk is really Revving this generation up No 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 no. It, I mean Don't get me wrong Yeah It's not But That's their That's That's their way Of trying to Shade themselves In forms of black power Mm-hmm you know what I'm saying it's sort of like a tool it's a tactic mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying that's how I look at it now I don't agree with shit of abolition either you know I mean I would be even more radical I heard somebody on on the convention say that abolition means centering ourselves 
when on the panel asked about what does abolition mean to you, they said they started their answer by saying yeah. centering ourselves. And I, I'm like, and I mean, this gets into I mean uh, notions of community over notions of the individual. Yeah, uh, you know what I'm saying, and that type of rhetoric and that type of philosophy. But um, you know, an, another striking part just to move the conversation I mean we can dig in and, and really keep going on every yeah. single point you already know because I was going to say this before you left Go ahead. before we leave Aki they didn't even really define abolition from the standpoint of our ancestral um, participation in abolition right they didn't even approach it from that way mm. because if you approached it from that way you would have to some way look at it and say it was revolutionary I mean but look Chattel, let, let's talk about abolition for a second, right? Let's yeah. have the conversation. We There was an abolitionist movement that abolished chattel slavery, and we know about the heavy African-American or African enslaved African participation in that, right? Yeah. What happened after abolition was not a destruction of that system, but a transformation of it. You know, now now we always say that, but do we believe it? Are we gonna? Are we willing to follow the logic of our analysis? Right. Mm-hmm. So, how useful is abolition as as a political term? Right. If it, within our history, it simply meant reform. Yeah. White people understand. Yeah, we abolished slavery, but we still got these niggas subordinated to us. And and no, there was a ton of abolitionists who believed in the freedom of black people, but did not believe in the equality of them. You know, um, our people worked with some of these abolitionists to get the work done. Mm-hmm. And I won't just say that abolitionists led to the um, ending of slavery. We were having numerous revolts and slave rebellions all through that period. Aki, we know. Look, Plus, we helped fighting the war. When we say free the land, we mean it, bro. Ain't, there's no freedom without land. True. There's no freedom without land. So we know when they came out and talked about abolish slavery and they abolished slavery but didn't give us land, that's not freedom. You know what I'm saying? That's not freedom. So this 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 term abolition, you know, and within the the context of, of our history, you know, I, I have real concerns about its promotion. At this time, I don't see the term abolition rising out of the cause of the black working class. Mm-hmm. I see it more so being something resonant amongst uh, the college educated, upwardly mobile, black, it's a, it's, black like middle say, class. It's a word that's supposed to be meant to be catchy. That is a, um, a, a, a term, I guess, for a non-hotepper. Mm-hmm. I'm an abolitionist. I'm a modern day abolitionist. And watch, watch how many of these abolitionists walk away from their power. It's it, it, look, the the social hit, the social capital hit you gonna take from turn from changing your politics. Yeah, is gonna be less harmful walking away from abolitionist politics than it is walking away from revolutionary politics. Mm. Oh, I was just an abolitionist, and it's that's vague. You can't. It's harder to walk away from. I'm a former revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And they're scared to be revolutionaries. You know, that's why they don't fight for the, the revolutionaries locked up right now. I mean... Not, not hard enough. I mean, I, 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 I would say that they are more, you know, they don't know what that is. And, and two, they don't, they don't know what that... Well, that, that is what it is. They don't know what that is. 
Um, even though, even, you know, our politics in America, you know, dealing with this system has always had to be something that had a, a revolutionary turn to it. I don't necessarily care if they use the term revolutionary or not. It just was none of they shit was sounding correct. I mean, just the the term itself only speaks to the action of ending something. You know what I'm saying? But revolutionary yeah. that speaks to the the type of uh, you know base that you build something from as well. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have a revolutionary base to build something. You know, abolition doesn't speak to no doesn't no. speak to that. I mean, no. just get, look at our no. history. I mean, they. I mean, we. If anything, you're a freedom fighter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If anything, you're supposed to be a freedom fighter. So, 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 you know, maybe my beef, just to, you know, maybe transition out of my, you know, uh, out of the, the conversation on, you know, getting stuck on abolition. Maybe my beef is just more on the linguistic or rhetorical side than the political usage of the word. You know, I, I feel like we giving something up. We hurting yeah. our own posture and what we communicate to our people. You know what I'm saying? And that's another thing. You know, we got to we got to ask ourselves, you know, who was this for? Who who who? Was the intended audience Or the most valued audience From the people that put together This uh, This convention Right? Yeah And I say that And I, I guess my final point of critique For the 2020 convention that we watched Together mm-hmm. Was they had no critique Of the failures Of the Gary convention In 1972 hmm. They had no They had really no analysis No deep analysis Of the politics Present and the debates present, nor the declarations that came out of the yeah. 1972 convention. There was no analysis, no discussion of that. They mm-hmm. just showed all of the pretty black and famous faces from the convention yeah. briefly, and then they said that oh, they had debates about separation versus integration, and that's all they said, and mm-hmm. they moved on. That's how much they care about our history. Yeah. It's it's, a, it's an aesthetic thing for them, mm-hmm. so that's why it's important for us to dig in, right? So. And so what do we mean when I when I say that they had no critique of the failures of the Gary Convention? That's because the Gary Convention in their declaration, they called for a separation of black politics from white politics and the white political system. Exactly. They called for us investing into a black nation that could exist outside of this white nation where we do for self. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Without trying to posture ourselves for. Uh, a white savior or, or reliance on a transformation or reformation of a system we know. They spoke on, yeah. Go ahead. They spoke on fundamental truths. Fundamental truths that we've been screwed mm-hmm. in this country by not only both parties, but this country as a whole. We have a working history with this country and both political parties as a whole to mm-hmm. tell us that they will screw both of that they both will screw us. And that this bastard can't be trusted. And what happened after the 1972 convention? Half of them dropped the ball. And we got screwed. Got screwed. You know, because we actually, what, we went the Democratic route. Right. 72 was, uh, who was that? Um, Was that Nixon? No, 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 it wasn't Nixon. That was, um... I think it was, uh, I know, I think, I think it was Nixon. You know what I'm saying? I think it was Nixon briefly, and then Jimmy Carter. There we go. And then and then Reagan, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I forget all the, the specific years there. 
but we dropped the ball because mm-hmm. we, another thing we didn't do, we didn't reorganize around the event. Mm-hmm. There was supposed to be another one the next year. They were supposed mm-hmm. to go home and build up those, lay out a plan and a framework, more than just a declaration. Okay, the first one started with a declaration. The second one, we got to come up with a plan. They didn't, they didn't follow through with it. And that's a failure that black people have had a lot of times and a lot of the movements that we've had as a people that, you know, we'll, we don't follow through. When we, we say, for instance, when we do get um, Trump out of office, mm-hmm. you know, we could fall, there's a potential that we could fall right back to sleep. And all this political activity you see now, you ain't going to see. I mean, and what did Darren Seals, our brother, warn us about this class, the same class of people that are leading this movement, right? Mm-hmm. Our brother that was killed for his words, his politics, warned us about this, and we see it and um, with this movement. So let, let's get into a little bit more of uh, the Gary Convention and why we're saying that uh, the 2020 convention you know, fail to, uh, you know, really have a critique or analysis of what came before it. That's because the Gary Convention called for our separation and what happened afterwards, like we said, was our capitulation. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, let's start here. This is from the Black De- Declaration. So when our brothers, our sisters, our family came together for this national convention, a declaration was issued. You wouldn't know it from watching the 2020 convention. Mm-hmm. That there was any like type of political declaration uh, issued from the 1972 convention, but we got it here. So yeah. I'll start it off, and me and Aki will uh, trade until we come to a breaking point. So uh, the black agenda is addressed primarily to black people in America. It rises natu- naturally out of the bloody decades and centuries of our own people's of our people's struggle on these shores. It flows from the most recent surgings of our own cultural and political consciousness. It is our attempt our attempt to define some of the essential changes which must take place in this land as we and our children move to self-determination and true independence. The black agenda assumes that no truly basic change for our benefit takes place in black or white America unless we black people organize to initiate that change. It assumes that we must have some essential agreement on overall goals, even though we may differ on many specific strategies. Therefore, this is an essential statement of goals and direction for our generation. Some first definitions of crucial issues around which black people must organize and move in 1972 and beyond. Anyone who claims to be serious about the survival and liberation of black people must be serious about the implementation of the black agenda. What time is it? So let's go back real quick, a paragraph, and they say that... um, it's on us to organize and initiate that change. And we must have some essential agreement on overall goals. And I think what a good thing that, that was part of the 1972 convention was it truly brought together people that represented uh, different political uh, uh, spots on the on the black political spectrum yeah. spectrum in debate, in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they were black first. Yeah. And um as far, and we're about to see as we keep on going through this, 
how clearly they answer some of these large questions about our relationship to America. Yeah. I don't think the movement for, for black lives and their emphasis on abolition answer some of these big questions enough, especially in the political pl- platforms that come out of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, part of the reason is their attachment still to anti-black misandric, you know, tropes that disrupt our politics. But also it's the class politics that are all, you know, all these things are interwoven together. So anything I keep before we keep going? Uh, I just think how, you know, they're clear cut about the time and the era that they're in. Mm-hmm. And that that they assume the task to take that agenda for the future. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely a, um, a more pointed, structured beginning to a plan. Meaning mm-hmm. they let out, they laid out what they need to, what they what they were there for, what they was meant to do, and what they were supposed to do. With, mm-hmm. You know. And then they go further on with it. Mm-hmm. So let's start with white reality's black choice. A black political convention, indeed all truly black politics, must begin from this truth. The American system does not work for the masses of our people. And it cannot be made to work without radical fundamental change. Radical from, that means from the root, uprooting fundamental change. Indeed, this system does not really work in favor of the humanity of anyone in America. In light of such realities, we come to Gary and are confronted with the choice. Will we believe the truth that history presses into our face or will we try to try to hide? Will the small favors some of us have received blind us to the larger sufferings of our people or open our eyes to the testimony of our history in America? Our king. Mm-hmm. We got that, that right there. Nah, we got to speak on that one. Mm-hmm. They laid down fundamental truths that every black man and woman and child in America, every new African man, woman, child in America, whatever you want to call, got to hear to the fullest. Mm-hmm. You know, both like you can't trust it. Simple. I didn't hear that coming out of this 2020 convention. Or I heard it in spots from certain commentators on certain panels, but I didn't see it reflected in the political programs really laid out. Not strongly, not prominently. And, uh, you know, there's multiple other problems we can talk about, too. I mean, just for instance, we talk on the thing about land when they had when they had the conversation about land. Mm -hmm. Um one, uh, we could talk about the panel, but I mean, think about the list that came after the panel of yeah. of policy objectives. They had nothing on there about rep- about land reparations. Yeah, they had uh, uh, you know a recognition of indigenous rights. They had yeah. several reforms that were disconnected from land reparations mm-hmm. or land reform and um, or land redistribution. And then the, the last one was about just black farmers. And uh, we know that's a, uh, a complicated issue that's already caught up in the court system. But, yes. that, but there's not that that does not reflect or would a, or would even affect the realities of black America as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that uh, on one hand, they're having conversations where they include some of the radical revolutionary voices or, you know, some uh, uh, some some points. Yeah. Uh, but th- they don't follow through like uh, for the boom for Black Lives agenda does not follow through on all those. No. Uh, you know, we can also. You got some? 
I, I mean, I was just going to say that, um, you know, they clearly tell you in this this declaration that the American system does not work for the masses of our people. Mm-hmm. That's a fundamental truth. You didn't hear anything about that. You didn't hear anything of that tone, not about that, but of that tone in here. So this gave off the 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 idea to me that they trust electoral politics mm-hmm. because the whole thing was framed around voting. You know, you know what I'm saying the whole 2020 convention. That's what you mean, right? The yeah. whole 2020 uh, Black National Convention was was framed around voting as the most uh, important manifestation of our politics, and they really revealed themselves, right? Yeah. When I mean, you said uh, like, do you drop the ball when it comes to the non-flashy or non uh, like white affirmed type of organizing? You yeah. know what I'm saying where was this Black National Convention when y'all got all this money back in 2014, 2015? Exactly. You said, but now it's 2020. Kamala's on the ticket. Trump's up for re-election, and y'all have a Black National Convention. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you wanted to be respected, or you wanted to, you wanted so much to be seen as some type of uh, you know what I'm saying continuation of the 1972 convention, but it's far from it. So we're gonna pause right here. And uh, then get into more of the declaration from the Gary Convention. All right. Peace. All right, y'all. We are now back from break. Uh, please welcome to the studio space JB from Puss Soul. You know what I'm saying? He just here to add to the, the collective energy as we uh, keep the ball rolling with Most the conversation. Definitely. Um, so just to keep things going Now we are on the, the section Both parties have betrayed us From the 1972 uh, Gary uh, Black National Convention um, Proclamation right Yeah the proclamation Yeah declaration Yeah I'm sorry declaration Alright so here at Gary Let us never forget That while the times And the names And the parties Have continually changed One truth has faced us Insistently Never changing both parties have betrayed us whenever their interests conflicted with ours, which was most of the time, hmm. and whenever our forces were unorganized and dependent, quiescent and compliant. Nor should this be surprising, for by, not, for by now we must know that the American political system, like all other white institutions in America, was designed to operate for the benefit of the white race. It was never meant to do anything else. Clarity. That's clarity. Yeah, mad clarity then. You know, we we need that clarity. I damn sure didn't see that in the twenty twenty Black National Convention. You know. Yeah, because I mean they're not they're not going as far to they're not contextualizing why twenty twenty electorally is so important within the context of, you know, uh, an analysis of the situation that 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 is true, like 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 this one says. I mean, this system was designed to benefit the white race, and as was never meant to do anything else. Uh, I mean, are they talking about the vote in a way that gets us at something that defeats that and transforms that? Um, I, I think you know, and just to just to give some credit to the twenty twenty convention, I think some people voiced some of that. Yeah, it was some it it was some good speakers there. Mm-hmm. There but, was some there was some people that was 
on track with what they were uh, teaching. But the um, but the emphasis, the lack of emphasis on you know what I'm saying, on um, you know the the victims of police murder, the disproportionate victims of police murder, black men not being represented to the fullest, and you know the lack of uh, like we said a real democratic operation to what they're doing. Um, so yeah, uh, you got anything, Aki? Um, uh, far as from that. Nah, I think they. I think it was clear cut and concise for me. Mm. Once I read this, and then I read, once I read that statement, and then went and looked at it, they didn't have the clarity that those people who did that 1972 National Black Convention mm-hmm. had. Those people was, they had the, and when I say the clarity, meaning that they had the fundamental foundational truths based in their, based in our experience here in North America under this system and they correctly critiqued the system for what it was mm-hmm. which is a, a way different critique than what you got from looking at this 2020 Black National Convention mm-hmm. so we're starting here with uh, the session We Are the Vanguard want me to take that? yeah go ahead okay um, uh, We Are the Vanguard the challenge is thrown to us here in Gary it is the challenge to consolidate and organize our own black role as a vanguard in the struggle for a new society. To accept that challenge, to move to the independent black politics, there can be no equivocation on this on that issue. Say that part again. That that's it, that paragraph. It says to accept the challenge is to move to independent black politics. There can be no equivocation on that issue. History leaves us no other choice. White politics has not and cannot bring changes we need. Ooh. We came to Gary and are faced with the challenge. The challenge is to, to transform ourselves from a favor-seeking vassals and loud-talking militant pawns and to take up the role that the organized masses of our people have attempted to play ever since we came to these shores. That, that of harbangers of justice and humanity, leaders and the struggle for liberation. We will have joined the true movement of history if at Gary we, gra- we grasp the opportunity to press man forward as the first consideration of politics. Here at Gary, we are faithful to the best hopes of our fathers and our people if we move for nothing less than a politics which places community before individualism, love before sexual exploitation, a living environment before profits, peace before war, Justice before unjust order and morality before expediency. This is the society we need, but we delude ourselves here in Gary if we think that the change can be achieved without organizing the power. The determined national black power, which is necessary to insist upon that such change, to create such change, to seize change. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't, reading that part, I can't help but to agree with you, Aki. That the 2020 convention is a step back from the clarity and the clarity in which they're answering these big questions about our relationship to this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're speaking with a clarity that is that's lacking nowadays. Yes. Uh, you know, when, when they're saying that, you know, what I'm saying it, it takes a national, a determined national black power to get us there. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying that 
uh, that doesn't look like what, you know what I'm saying, what the Movement for Black Lives Matter did in the 2020 convention. Because to carry forward the politics of Gary, you know what I'm saying, you can't just handpick the delegates from each state, you know what I'm saying, that already affirm the type of politics that you Mm -hmm. practice as a Movement for Black Lives leadership. Yeah. Uh, you know that that's not how it's done. That that's not the most con. That that's not the most conscious, deliberate way. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a most righteous way to really uphold those politics at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, I I think just just the call of black power, the challenging of the values that was given to us. See, I I love it because they're basing this statement on those fundamental proofs that's rooted in our history and our legacy. You ain't got no goddamn reason to trust this shit. You ain't never had no reason to trust it because it ain't never did right by you in any, in any way, shape, form, fashion. Every time you show progress, organize to have your own communities, try to build your own schools, try to build your own banks. Every time you try to do your own damn thing, you always got into some shit with them and they had a problem with what you was doing. So... It's a it's a definite clarity that we don't have today. Niggas think that we a part of this. Niggas think that this is gonna work for them. They think that we can work alongside white people who are not revolutionaries to abolish, I guess, the prison industrial system, and that that's a real like logical coalition. I mean. I'm not saying that you don't have to do any type of electoral politics. I'm not saying that you don't have to have, uh, work with people that you don't, you know, um, that, that, that they may look different from you. But that means you still have your political clarity about what it is with this system. Now, the biggest things, the big, the two biggest things that you get from the, the Black National Convention of 2020 that we got was the idea of abolition and electoral politics. And of course, it's the acceptance of the inclusion of all black identities. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the probably the three biggest themes. Yeah. What's the connection between abolition and electoral politics? Did they ever get deep into that? No. I mean, if abolition is the destruction of, if I mean, sometimes they would they would claim somebody would claim that abolition is the destruction of the current system. And the yeah. building of a new one, you know, yeah. which generally I agree with. I would just call that revolution. Yeah. But what's the connection? They're not, you know what I'm saying? I feel like they could have done a lot more and get on, getting on that connection between, you know, that and electoral politics. Well, well, well one thing I would say is this, that um, abolitionists, the word abolition, they had black abolitionists. And what I would want to say is that black abolitionists didn't work in the same tone that white abolitionists worked in. Black black abolitionists had the true desire to free their people because they had cousins, uncles, aunts, sisters, and shit that may have been still on the plantation, right? White abolitionists, on the other hand, maybe because of their religiousity at the time or whatever they was at in life, said, okay, this is a wrong institution. Slavery is a wrong institution. Right, they came at least to that civilized understanding that slavery is up, but they didn't free you with the hopes of changing the economic system. Mm-hmm. Right, there was an argument amongst abolitionists about you being free but having the right to vote. Right, you know, um, Frederick Douglass had an argument. Think about all the uh, uh, 
racist black anti-black misandrists in the white suffrage movement that were formerly part of the abolitionist movement exactly beefing with Frederick Douglass right. because they they was pissed off that black men and black women were gonna get the right to vote before them as white women mm-hmm. and they was using all types of all of a sudden the racism came out of them then right and and let's actually let's actually dig in here and this gets us to gets us into a question and conversation about gender that I want to bring us back to Darren Seals eventually uh, with. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes, you, you're exactly right. The suffrage movement, uh, Elizabeth Candy Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, mm-hmm. these type of figures allied with black women like Sojourner Truth, you know what I'm saying, their understanding and their promotion to the black community and to black women was the idea that if you, if this country gives black men the right to vote before white women, and white women, you know, were, you know, part of the slaveholding class. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They're part of the oppressor classes. Not forget that. Yeah. But uh, their their claim was that if this country gives the vote to black men or Negro men, then instead of or before white women, then it would be akin or what would result from that would be black men would oppress black women as white men oppressed white women. Mm hmm. That was what white feminists and the white suffrage movement told black women. Yeah. And promoted to the black community. And Frederick Douglass spoke up and called them out and said, y'all trying to pretty much divide the black community. And divide the black family. Now, here they go. Now, check this shit out. When they gave black men the right to vote, they gave our women the right to vote, too, at the same damn time. Black, white, I mean, white women was pissed off about that. And those same white women that tried to rule y'all in, they was also early founders of the feminist movement here in the United States, um, turned they back on you again. Well, uh, you're saying that, well, when African-American men were given the right to vote, of course it wasn't enforced in, in mass until like 1960. Yeah, yeah, true indeed. But I mean, still women were not given the right to vote for decades after African-American men, at least in name, were given the right to vote. I mean, uh, it did take white women in the suffrage movement several more decades for women to get the right to vote in this country. It was it women or white women? Uh, well, of course, it, it was it was white women because no black people. I mean, the mass of black people in the South, uh, you know, of course, at different times and to different degrees in American history, but were kept from the vote. Okay, violently, okay. violently in the South. You know, what I'm saying until the 1960s. Yes, right. Okay, and, I got you. And, yeah, and I got of course you. there were voting rights acts as well in the, mm-hmm. in that decade of the civil rights movement as well. But uh, yeah, I just want to make that distinction that it wasn't at the same time, and that was part of the political beef. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That was part of the and, and, and it's it's important to dig into this just because a lot of this a, a lot of this uh, conflict between white feminists and African American male enfranchisement and empowerment, right? Is what animated the feminist movement then and still underlies much of the feminist yeah. movement now mm-hmm. as far as this opposition to black men. And, yeah. and, and, and they're trying to call and that they're trying to make us believe, right, that um, Afri- African men, enslaved African men, black men at whatever point in history, they, they, they want us to believe that our goal is to achieve white patriarchy. Our goal is to mimic 
white power, white patriarchal power. That's the mimetic thesis that Dr. Curry argues against and, 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 and destroys and the man not, mm-hmm. of course, but a lot of these people don't read when they make these type of claims, right? So a lot of this is what, that's what undergirded those messages that Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Candy Stanton, the early white female suffragists were making, mm-hmm. that, you know, black men, if given the right to vote before us, would do unto y'all what white men have done to us. Yeah. no. That are, we know that African masculinity has a tradition, you know what I'm saying, African manhood, whatever you want to call it. We know that that has a long tradition in our communities, a, a sense of African masculinity or black masculinity that is not uh, uh, somehow committed to the individual and violence and dominance, but it's about a regenerative relationship with the community. Mm-hmm. It centers the community. It, it, it It's a regenerative relationship with, with nature. Yeah. Right. And it values family. Yeah. You know, that's black and African masculinity. Protection of community. Those are the things valued in African masculinity. And it's not a rejection of the feminine, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're getting into the 2020. I know we're bringing this all around. So there was a segment, uh, like we said, of the 2020 um, Black National Convention that we just watched where they talked yeah. about black masculinity. Yeah. And they didn't talk about any sense of African masculinity that was uh, inherently anti-colonial and has always been anti-colonial yeah. and, ha- and how that has been the main thing animating our politics. All they talked about was our desire for white patriarchy or our supposed, you know what I'm saying, theoretical, abstract uh, desire for white patriarchal power. It? It westernized masculinity. Um, the, I mean, the fault in it was that you have to contrast that with something. You can't say that we have Western, we suffer from Western masculinity, um, but then don't provide a contrary for that and an example of that. Um, that's an argument that's still, that, that, to be honest with you, has been argued and crushed already. I think Dr. Tommy Curry crushed that, mm-hmm. you know. But um, and, you, the, and what we're saying, just for clarity, mm-hmm. is the fact that there is a separate Afri- sense of African male identity, African masculinity mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, that survived slavery, survived colonization, and mm-hmm. has been a repertoire of our resistance ever since. And has but be- has been part of the bonds of our community. Some of the most important bonds of our community yeah. uh, has relied on that anti-colonial African masculinity. That yeah. we still hold. And, of course, it's affected by uh, the oppression of white patriarchy, of European patriarchy, of capitalist yeah. uh, colonization of mm-hmm. our communities, right, uh, yeah. throughout history. But um, you cannot talk just about uh, our desire to mimic. It's just not true. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and it, it, it was disheartening to see on the movement for black lives. That was how the discussion of of black masculinity was it, I mean like how can you have scholars like Tom McCurry active in such an era but and you want and you claim as an organization to represent the black national yeah. you know working class or whatever but you don't reflect the the leading theories of the day you know what I'm they're saying not, like, they they, that, that's, go, that's a that's they, they wasn't gonna go there on um, one if you looked at a lot of the other panels on the show they had four or five different people on the panel for this subject they only had two mm-hmm. They were supposed to have a panel for that subject. And the reason why is because you can't tackle something as strong as masculinity 
and pretty much make the statement that black men generally, in general, suffer from um, westernized masculinity. You have to have that argument flushed out. You have to have that conversation in full. Um, you can't have one perspective of that conversation. Um, there's a large segment of men out here, probably the majority, that I meet um, in all sectors who reject that, even, reject the cold concept of us having a westernized masculinity. Mm-hmm. You know, now, now it's funny because these this same group of people that were were critiquing, they would never deny the existence of an African sense of womanhood or an African sense of femininity, mm-hmm. and that that's a strong tradition that has survived slavery and has been an important part of our freedom struggle. They would never, they would, they they would deny, never deny that. Would they would they accept Westernized feminism? Would they uh, accept that if we said that if we said that Westernized feminism is is toxic to black men? Mm-hmm. Uh, not likely because they're also not willing to uh, really be accountable to the ways that white feminism has injected itself into the most modern forms of black feminism, mm-hmm. especially in the mainstream. Yeah. Uh, and not, the effects uh, of white feminism on black men in the past. Oh, of course. And in the present to some extent. Right. I mean, because generally there's a rejection of the gender depression of black men within feminism. But, I mean... The whole spectrum of this whole, um, you know, convention was a little off. I didn't see, um, it just makes me say to myself that, you know, we as black people got a lot of work to do. Let me say something real quick about this. Uh, it, 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 I'm, we're referring to the, the panel on black masculinity between, the, I mean, I can't even say that because they didn't talk about black masculinity. They just talked about Western masculinity and, and, and black males. But anyways, this was between Phil Agnew and Ola Ozaze. And um, one thing that they forwarded there was that Western masculinity is a rejection of femininity. If we know anything about African masculinity, black masculinity, it's not a rejection of femininity, of African femininity. It it seeks a union. It's a union, acceptance, and respect. Right. Now, they can't imagine that type of union that's not domination. Right. Mm-hmm. On the male's part, because they're working with the white feminist lens. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, of course, embedded or, or with this uh, competitive victimhood type politics, which seeks to leverage the sympathies, you know, afforded the minority groups mm-hmm. uh, for political gain and integration, assimilation into dominant institutions. Mm. You know, so just to lay it out clearly, Nick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you know, and, you know, so th- this is why we see a lot of the denial of black male uh, gender to sexual oppression mm-hmm. and, um, and, and and why the indigenous African masculinity that resides within us is, is not regarded, is not giving historical value. You know what I'm saying? It's not seen as valuable within our movements. You know what I'm saying? Just like you see our leadership in current movements and historical movements uh, devalued in this modern age as, you know, late capitalism seeks to tokenize a, a certain group. You know what I'm saying? As the uh, some some of the ancestors are angry at us. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, as late stage capitalism seeks to, um, you know, assimilate 
uh, a, a certain swath of our community in this late stage as it seeks to quell rebellion. You know, you see people latch on to new forms of uh, the same anti-black misandrous rhetoric that uh, we've already, you know, drawn some of the historical uh, I mean, connections for. Black Lives Matter sort of always had that sort of stream with them, you know. Um, they went they went everywhere on this. Um, I, I sort of knew that that was going to come with them. Um, one thing that I wanted to talk about, too, is the the the... When they talked about land, the first principle they put for um, reparations in the, in the concern of land was they talked about the return of stolen lands to all indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, I do acknowledge that there are indigenous peoples in the United States whose land was taken from them. Wrong. That, that is true. It's history. Not against those people in that struggle. But this wasn't nothing about them. This was supposed to be a national black convention about black people. And they had all those revolutionary black, they had two revolutionary black nationalists on the panel, on one of those free to land panels talking about land. And they both supported land reparations for all black people. And the movement for black lives did not include that, despite the conversation within the platform that they, that they presented on screen only afterwards. Mm. It was bizarre that they included panels of debate or, you know, that was highly edited, but they had included no discussion or real presentation of actual platform items as you would expect at a political convention. Mm. They just flashed them on the screen briefly and moved on to the next segment. Nobody yeah. spoke to them. Yeah. That's troubling, Aki. Another part that just speaks to the aesthetic quality or the aesthetic emphasis of the entire event. Think about in the beginning how much the uh, the host was, you know, it was a red carpet, right? It was a red carpet affair, yeah. welcoming people to the, the convention. And the conversation was about, uh, you know, very aesthetically pleasing things like outfits. What are you wearing? Yeah, what are you? Yeah, exactly. And, um... You know that combined. I, I, I guess we shouldn't focus too much on that. Some of that is is good. You know, I guess you know what I'm saying. But that combined with you know some of these other troubling politics, you know, it really shows you. You know what I'm saying. What's up? And I, and I guess it really also speaks to the lack of engagement with black male uh, leaders and also the victims of you know what I'm saying black uh, of police murder. You know what I'm saying. And and the group that that's focused on a lack of engagement from moving for black lives. I mean, they didn't take on no real things like that. I mean, like, I was, for a national black convention, I'm going to be looking for the experts in field mm-hmm. of conversation, mm-hmm. scholars in the field of conversation, people who have studied this in the black community for years with activists. You need those two in combination. That's what I mean. That's taking the academic world and the, and, the, and the troops on the ground and bringing them together. One who studies the, the what's going on on the ground. You see what I'm saying? And I didn't see any of that. I didn't see... I mean, it was so petty that they even had some stuff like Wakanda the vote. Yeah. Wakanda the vote. Yeah. I mean, what, what type of mess is that, bro? I'm talking about a, a, a fictional Marvel joint. You know what I'm saying? And in the movie, the Wakanda was working with the CIA. 
I mean, maybe they're so, trying I mean, to make political activity stylish. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I respect voting. Voting has been the most consistent thing that the white man has fought against us in America since we even got fucking free. Mm-hmm. He's always had that. He's been one of the most consistent things that he's always went at. Vote. Your right and your ability to vote. But who are you voting for? You see what I'm saying? What are you voting for? You know, um, um, we're making these demands. But are we really going to carry through those demands? The demands aren't even the emphasis of, you know, of the convention. Um, the National Black Convention of 72 was built up to. They were establishing relationships damn near for a year and a half to two years to build up to that black convention. Building the networks, establishing what they was going to do, planning the event ahead of time, and then they had it. I didn't know shit about that with this. Mm-hmm. And I think just in general, Aki, what this is showing, because I agree 100% with you, and you see the Black United Front style politics of the 1972 convention. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Replaced modern day 2020 with Black elite coalition building. Yes, it's, yeah. it's Black elite networks mm-hmm. that have that can perform to a large audience with large platforms. You know what I'm saying. And that social media aids in this. Mm-hmm. The digital technology aids in this. Yeah, but Black elite networks have one out over the grassroots black united front style of organizing it's quicker grifters are can more easily come into it you know moneyed interests have a, a larger role to play well the mode the of it has yeah. changed too Aki because you gotta think about it in 1972 there was no internet hmm. right you couldn't do nothing like this and then we have to take into account of COVID you know playing an effect on this right here. And in a good or bad way. You know. But like. That was real grassroots organizing. So you know. Um, you talking about a movement. That's already a little bit in disarray. Having a national black convention. Pulling from the networks. And a movement that's already in disarray. And then expecting to have. A black national convention. That's not in disarray. Hmm. You know. The math just don't the math don't add up for it to be um what the people need to really or maybe should be hearing in this time in era. Mm-hmm. You know. Um some of the points was hidden, some of the points was on, some of the guests they had was talking on point. But um But you see that the biggest change it, it, or I guess the the biggest emphasis or contrast I can draw out between 1972 and 2020 is just the fact that they're calling for separation in 1972. Yeah. And 2020, the emphasis is on participation in the electoral processes of this country. Mm. Undoubtedly, if you watch that five-hour joint, that's what you walk away with. Yeah. Well, well, and I say this. I won't say that they said separation. I mean, uh, mean, they, they, they said... Separation from a, rely, a reliance on white politics. Yeah. You're right. And, and, Separa- but, but, yeah, but, you're right. But they did sort of hint to it, though, because they said they seen themselves as a black nation. Right. I damn sure didn't hear that in this one. Of course not. Of you course know? not. They see that they seen themselves as a black nation. Right. We're just oppressed individuals 
in a nation that doesn't like us. Under yeah. The, yeah. And, but and, I mean, but I, I, I got to draw this out, Aki. I want to hear your response on this. But you see the uh, part of the dramatic shift just in this promotion of Black November. How in the month after Black August, now the pushes for Black November, Black August we know is about uh, of organizing for our liberation yeah. and honoring those that have organized for our liberation, our national liberation. Mm-hmm. And uh, to see out of that from the same people that I guess at least performed uh, a respect for those politics to now have a Black November, you know. How do you feel about that? I mean, um, it's sort of different to have it follow up from Black August. Um, by the way, they did do a little decent section on Black August um, and the section on political prisoners. I did see that that was definitely um, a nice, good uh, part of the show. Okay, that's in 2020. What's it going to be like 2025? I mean, I, I, are they going to put the Black November over Black August? Uh I doubt if they can do that, but I'll say this. It's an attempt to try to, like, I guess they're trying to create a political culture. Seems like it. They're trying to alter or affect the current development of a political culture. A political yeah. culture is already developing in this moment. They're trying to alter its course. Yeah, you know, maybe they're trying to promote their alternative for that or you know but that's what it seems like with that you know um I don't know how you make that connection to Black August bro we already have a Black August do we need a second month that's black just because we vote during November (laughs) that's the only reason they're calling Black November Black November is because we vote in November for the president I wouldn't have a problem if they did that if they came with some real with with a real concrete it is what it seems Aki you know Hey, they gotta have a, the, the, if they had a concrete solution with it, I, I I let that ride. If they had a concrete black agenda and a concrete framework for doing Black November and doing it, Aki, right? In we exact, just watched the convention, Aki. It's no, twenty twenty. They got I this said, money in twenty fourteen. I said if, and they have not. <laughs> so we so we know what this is. They're trying to replace Black August with Black November, nigga. I'm calling it. <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, I, I I wouldn't put nothing past the devil. Hmm. I just say that. So you know, um, well, and, and I, I know there's gonna be some bougie ass niggas that say, why can't we have both? Like motherfucker, why we need both? Yeah. And why y'all wait till 2020 just because you man? Like, there's a whole, whole lot of. I'm more cool with them having a black. National convention The way it's supposed to be had With delegates With quorums With parliaments Look The 1972 convention Was not about The vote Was not about Electoral politics Mm -hmm. It was about Pushing our people Towards Moving so far Beyond that And not being limited By that anymore And participating In the building Of a black society it was about a black, our of a new black life. Yeah, it was about our future, and when without talk- permission, legitimization, funding from white people, without yeah. any type of policy, any type of governmental amendment, constitutional amendment, Supreme Court decision, we don't need none of that mm-hmm. for what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's what it was about. It was about the future, 
And that's why they laid out their declaration in the beginning. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, they laid the foundational troops. We going up in here with a blind eye. They understood in 72 that this system can't be trusted. They understood that the political parties is both enemies of black people. They understood that they have to have some type of political independent apparatus. And they understood that they have to, um, you know, seize power and take power politically in themselves and and, in all other aspects. I ain't see that shit with none of this today. Facts. On, on this 2021, you know, it shows the the mentality and the 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 advancedness of those thinkers at that time. But I always say, since the 60s and 70s, the political mainstream has been dragged to the right in a lot of ways. You know, the left still exists, and we know it still exists today. Mm-hmm. But the left is even now more deficient in how it approaches the idea of black national liberation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, you know, we are facing a lot of problems, you know what I'm saying? Uh, because the, the, there is no real comprehension or, or, or debate around black na- national liberation mm-hmm. in 2020. It seems like there's it's a foregone conclusion that uh, it's just not possible. It's not even taking up our separation. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, the hour is too late for it not to be. You know, because if you're not putting if you're not putting it on the table clearly and con, and concisely for the people, right? It's clear that you know it's more about integration to the society. Well, we had look. We know to be revolutionaries, we had to speak truth to the people. Mm-hmm. We know we we had to start calling that obscure shit, that vague shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We got to start calling it what it smell like. Mm-hmm. And stop and stop being afraid to do it. I mean, I, I would say this to people, you know, if the the question of our peoplehood, I, I, that's not a question for me. Um, that's never been a question for me. I think that we, that's ours by right, by um, history, by legacy, by lineage. Um. But we got to figure out. We got to answer that question now. You know what I'm saying, Sonny? Um, Because that question sort of lays the basis of how we move. What we do. You know? Um, We scream this shit of reparations. Niggas don't get it. If you get reparations, you're going to automatically become independent in your own nation of people. You're just gonna be doing it now, on the um, on the fly. And there was no debate on the Black National Convention on what reparations should look like, right? Yeah, like the the real work of reparations. If you're gonna be here in the United States, right? You're gonna have to have reparations. Gonna have to include yes, money, definitely land, policy fucking changes. Um, to some extent. Um, um, some federal guarantees access to all types of other shit you're not going to be the same you're not you're going to be different you can't you can't kick this you're not even going to be able to have 
No, if they really gave us reparations, you couldn't even have this thing of I just want to be treated like America. No, but, people going to be jealous of you. But just think about how closely tied your version of reparations is to revolutionary pan-African politics. Not There's very few people, you know what I'm saying, that are really that quickly connecting reparations to our national liberation and our national independence you know yeah. what I'm saying you're connecting reparations to our national independence yeah. you know what I'm saying like I, I, there's not many people that we saw on the program uh, for the Moving for Black Lives 2020 convention that uh, you know what I'm saying I, I think would see it in the same terms you know I, I think a lot of people would instead see it as our integration you know what I'm saying the reparation but I agree with you I think what you're saying as well Aki the reparations that would ensure our so-called integration into the society look far different than the reparations that would ensure our reparatory national liberation. There you I go. think our national liberation is the only reparatory thing that can happen. Yeah. I think reparations that integrate us further into uh, uh, a colonial society is not reparatory. It's yeah. not reparations. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, you don't have too many allies right now. Let you get reparations the way you're supposed to. Let us as a people get reparations the way we're supposed to. One thing is this. They couldn't pay us a payment in one walk to handle reparations. You really couldn't give us payment for hundreds of years that's going to handle that. Like, you really got, yeah, you have to give up some land. Like, people be talking about, well, the, why, what you mean by land? You know, some people think it's all just all the black farmers who lost land. No. What I mean is if white people in the United States own damn dear 90-some percent of the land, I think black people need 40 of that. Mm -hmm. I want 40 of it. They need to be in the hands of black folks. People don't think about the access to networks that black people are locked out of, right? I'm a meat cutter by trade. It's damn near impossible to start up an independent meat market in the United States. It's ran by like five fucking companies. I want access to all of that food, distribution. If if, if you're giving out $4.9 trillion to distribute, I, I want 40% of that for an unnumbered amount of years. You're going to be different. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be different. Now, the catch is, is this. If you don't have something set up before that to keep that shit in check, You'll become different, but become the same damn capitalist that the white man was when he was doing his thing. The, the, and the reason that the Movement for Black Lives and that this convention is not taking any hard positions on what reparations could look like is because that debate opens up the very type of questions that move our people politically in the best directions possible right in this moment. Mm -hmm. They don't want to take that up. They don't want to take up those conversations. That's why they just pay. I mean, when reparations was talked about, reparations was number five on a list of five things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That the, so it's always subordinate when you have the black middle class leading the conversation about it because they don't want to op open up the conversation about what does it look like in a collective national uh, sense, right? Um, yeah. And you, you see it also, I mean, uh, back to the connection about how they analyzed 
1972 uh, uh, political convention in Gary. All they said about it was that that the people there debated separation versus integration. That's all they had to say about it. They're not willing to dig in to those debates and revive them as they need to be revived. And that was fascinating that I would think that a proper way to redo that or redo a new one is to address that issue in today's time. They feel like it's already answered. Yeah, but, well, and and, and be honest with you, the, yeah, a lot of people do figure that it's already been answered. Because what is underlined in some of this academic reactionary black feminism, not the working class revolutionary type that we know and love, Aki, but the reactionary type, the idea is that Black women or black queer folk are their own community separate from black men. You know what I'm saying? And it has to be that way because of the harm that black men have put upon them. Of course, this view is ignorant of the bidirectionality of intimate partner violence, of community violence. And it's also within the same type of tropes as we mentioned before about, uh, you know, these anti-black misandric and colonial portrayals of black men, you know, and these have repercussions within our politics. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They do. I mean, you know, taking on, taking on a task of doing a convention is a lot. Um, I've done, I've, I've, you know, in my search of, um, African American history, I've looked at a lot of such conventions. Um, I've looked at minutes from the Negro conventions of the 1800s. Um, I've looked at uh, the minutes from the conventions, uh, the Pan-African conventions with W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, I've looked at the conventions um, with Marcus Garvey's UNIA. Looked at the minutes of those. And what what I see is that those conventions up until, I guess, this last one, these people had a certain clarity, like I spoke of before, about what their situation is. This ain't a lot of deep information a person got to learn for this one for me. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go through theory. <laughs> I don't have to go through ideology. You have a solid, working, living history to know what's up. Your history is, is signing that. You were trying to vote back in the day. They was against it. They burnt motherfuckers on these Jim Crow on you, all types of shit. They did everything they could to keep you from voting. Right? You know what I'm saying? You tried to operate politics. You put people in office, put people in presidencies, put people in governors, mayorships, and all that shit just to see them get assassinated right there in the square or get turned. You know, we know we can't trust this. In this time and era, we can't trust this. Those conventions, the Negro conventions, they were having serious quorums on the floor. Debates. Mm-hmm. This National Black Convention was supposed to be a week long with at least two days where they had an actual parliament and quorum to decide the um, the actual Agenda. Matter of fact, it could have went a whole week. Every night, the delegates had a certain session where they went over the agenda and had a quorum on ideas, 
and all of those things. And they could have had their public events during the day, you know, to keep shit going. I understand that, you know, you, I can understand that. Just what you do. Okay, that's that's cool, you know. But this wasn't, you know, maybe it was because of COVID. I, I, I give them that, you know what I'm saying? Maybe it was because of COVID. But that's a real convention where you have quorums and parliaments with men and women and they actually hash it out. And you have the experts plus representatives of the people in there mm-hmm. to get this shit together. I didn't see none of that shit. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Me neither, Aki. You know, and... um there were some good aspects to this. I mean, as, as, as we start writing out the conversation, you know, I, I like the conversations uh, around some of the environmental justice uh, yeah. work, uh, some of the black housing work that was discussed, the the uh, the work that's being done around the country on black disabled rights, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of that work coming under the umbrella of Black Lives Matter or the movement for black lives, it, it is what it is. You know, I, I think that, you know, the movement for black lives is strategic in terms of, you know, they bring in delegates, you know, to their umbrella type of uh, organization yeah. or, or I, I guess umbrella marketing type of branding uh, type mm-hmm. of uh, platform. And that furthers the work of those groups and it provides platforms like this convention to portray and promote that work. Yeah. Um, but. To really move beyond that, it has to go to a place of actually organizing on a national scale in communities all over the nation, yeah. uh, independent black political apparatuses yep. that take you outside of the elite spaces of NGOs, of the nonprofit industries, of the academy, of some of these elite activist spaces into the community with people that do not already think like you. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, uh, if the movement for black lives have all this millions of dollars coming into the organization from white philanthropists. Uh, you know, yeah, we have to be critical and ask, you know, why? I mean, I guess we know why, but I mean, for our people, we have to point out the reasons why they're not directing that money towards the building up of this independent black political strength that Gary called for in 1972. Mm-hmm. It's not a continuation. It's a pretendation. <laughs> right. Damn sure ain't no continuation. You know, um... Because if it, if it was a continuation, why would you not base this one off of the questions that they answered in 1972? Well, at least they didn't have to base it off. They could have they answered the question because the catch is this. From the declaration that Gary laid out, we know the answer to that question. Right. And there was no reference made to that in 2020. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, they should have at least been able to say that they had they had a debate on integration versus separation, and they concluded that we separate. We separate. You know what I'm saying? Politically, you know what I'm saying? I thought it was more in the political let, sense. And they said that let our negotiation or let our participation in the white system, you know, come from an independent, self-determined black space. Yes. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to these uh you know the relationships between the people that want favors from the white power structure i mean i'm honestly gonna go back and uh had to download that document because that actually was a great freaking oh yeah and we only read pieces of it yeah, yeah we only read that pieces was a great it. declaration right there i mean i held I, I say that that needs to be a framework a model of what needs to be at the beginning of a declaration in today's time and era you know 
of those fundamental truths. Those fundamental truths stand alone. They don't go nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still the same way as it is then. So, you know, at least having that there, that automatically already impresses a sense of, um, to some extent, nationalism. You know, mm-hmm. in those people. And and to answer any critics of our critique of Moving for Black Lives, you know, that would claim that, you know, us calling for them to be more independent in their black politics. And, uh, you know, I guess my response to, you know, people saying that, I would say you don't have you don't have an independent black political vehicle or framework that doesn't include working class black men. Or that does not make them feel represented. Or working class black women. Exactly. Or working class black women. Because I don't say a lot about them in there. Uh, the working class black people in general. Yeah. But but uh, I may, I make that point just because I mean we we had to start cutting through the mess. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And start really being open and honest about uh, the deficiencies of some of these programs. So. Um, Let's let's read the last few paragraphs just to end out uh, our conversation today. This is from the, the, the portion of the Declaration on Towards a Black Agenda. And the last three paragraphs begin. So, brothers and sisters of our developing black nation, we now stand at Gary as people whose time has come. From every corner of black America, from all liberation movements of the third world from the graves of our fathers and the coming world of our children we are faced with a challenge a challenge and a call though the moment is perilous we must not despair we must seize the time for the time is ours we begin here and how and and how and gary we begin with the independent black political movement, an independent black political agenda, and an independent black spirit. Nothing less will do. We must build for our people. We must for we must build for our world. We must stand on the edge of history. We cannot turn back. And that right there was from the declaration conceived at the first black convention in 1972 in Gary, Indiana. And it is definitely, like I said, it's definitely worth uh, looking up and downloading. And I'd say use that son bitch as a framework because it is damn your own point for me. Mm-hmm. It definitely takes us uh, to a better place than what's popular right now, Aki. You know. So uh, with that being said, uh, shout out to our comrades and all the people working hard for our people's liberation. Yes. Within the movement for Black Lives and the many organizations under that umbrella, yes, our critique comes from a place of love, yes, and it comes from a place of uh, you know revolutionary urgency, yes, uh, because our time is short, um, and we have to get to work, and these conversations need to be had, right? You know, so uh, and we invite anybody, uh, you know, what I'm saying into uh, righteous and honest kind debate. Mm. On these issues, you know, or or our view or our words on them. So, with that, uh, we thank you for listening, and uh, be vigilant of any type of co-optation or misappropriation of our truly righteous, revolutionary Black tradition. Yes, uh, you know that lasts for so long throughout our history. So, with that, my name is Sunny Teray. My name is Akita G. And uh, this is the Fire This Time podcast, episode 13, and we out. How we out. Peace. Free to land. Peace.